I'm going to miss that song when we go on hiatus Ooh. from the steam room. Hiatus. Yes, we bring you uh, the season finale for season two. This will be hmm. from last year and this year, episode number 55 of the steam room, wow. which is presented by Tissot, the official watch of the NBA. Wow. Uh, along with Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson, Charles, the voice that you keep hearing saying, wow, wow, wow. It is, it's, it is kind of mind blowing that we've done 55 podcast episodes. How about that? That is awesome. Hey, and we had to dig deep day today. We're going to get a special, special, special guest for the season finale. I can't wait. We'll keep that a little secret right now. Hey, let it breathe, Ernie. Let it breathe. Let it marinate just a bit. Um, <laughs> but one thing we've done with all of all 55 of these episodes, they all start the same way. First of all, First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. Yeah, I got a couple things on my mind today. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to Carl Nassib, the first uh, NFL player to come out as gay. Number one, it's none of our business. It's none of our business. Uh, but I want to congratulate you for having the courage and the conviction to come out and, and be you. Listen, I want to give a shout out to all my lesbian, gay, transgender friends. I love y'all. I don't judge y'all. It ain't up to me to judge y'all. Uh, I got a lot of love and respect for you. I have experienced racism. I see it. And I'm never going to discriminate against anybody. Being discriminatory just makes you an asshole, plain and simple. So shout out to Carl Nassib. It wasn't our business, but you wanted us to share it with you, and we share it with you, brother. Bless you. And all the gay, lesbian, transgender people, bless y'all. So uh, that's my first of all, the first part of it, Ernie. All right. And part two? These two guys are my friends, and I hate to go at them, but I got to go at them because what they did, man, I just don't think you can do. You know, I, I take racism as a very serious subject, and I don't want people talking about race who don't have a pure heart. And these guys, I like both of them, but... Uh, Jay Williams comes out and congratulates the Celtics on having uh, their first black coach. And I was like, excuse me? Uh, they had Bill Russell. They had Casey Jones. They had Doc Rivers. They've had black coaches. So, Jay, please don't do that in that situation. I know Boston has had a history or racial things going on, but you need to do your homework a little bit better if you're going to say that, man. We don't need people mudding up the water and we're having honest and fair discussions on race. I love you, but you're just wrong and be more careful. And Jalen Rose, Jalen Rose, you know, I like it. I love what you're doing with the school up in Michigan, but you said the only reason Kevin Love is on the Olympic team is because they needed a token white guy. Well, in fairness, the last three Olympic teams have all been black. So clearly they were not thinking about that. So if you're going to talk about race, man, you can't make mistakes. Uh, that's a biggie for me. And even though I love Jay and Jalen, I just think both of their statements were wrong, and I got to call them out on it. I got you. I thought, you know what, I thought you were going to go uh, in the Scotty Pippen direction. Listen, Scotty, I've always liked you. We've never had crosswords. I know you got a new book coming out. Hey, it's really unfortunate that you're taking shots at everybody, myself included, but I'm not going to respond. Uh, listen, you want to sell books? Bless your brother. Good luck with your book. But to just take a shot, said Michael, myself. Oh, you took shot at Kevin Durant and LeBron uh, and and uh, and Phil. I mean, listen, man, I've always liked you, but to just try to drum up all this fake stuff because of you got a book coming out. As my man Tom Jackson would say, "Come on, man. Come on, man." So I kind of goaded you into a third, first of all. I apologize <laughs> for that, but well done. That's, well, technically, that would have been a fourth. <laughs> okay. I got you. I got well, you. I'm in a good mood today. I'm in a good mood today. Nobody, hey, listen, nobody's going to dampen my mood. This is the last podcast of the year, and we got some huge coming down. Huge. As we go to break, I'm not even going to tell you who the guest is, but I'll say that uh, this guest is legendary. And uh, as coached at Duke for a long time. Oops, we'll be back. <laughs> we welcome you back to the Steam Room. This guest segment is presented by Microsoft Teams. Where there's a team, there's a way. 
I mean, Chuckster. It does not get any bigger. This is the last podcast of the year. And we said, hey, let's go out with a bang. And this is, I can't say special, special, special guest enough. Yeah, and and the only requirement we have of this special guest is that uh, when you're in the steam room, you keep your towel on. Coach Mike Krzyzewski <laughs> joins us here on the steam room. Wow, Coach K, thanks a lot for making time. This is huge for us, man. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be on. I brought two towels. <laughs> I knew if I, I, I might be getting double teamed here. So I got two of them, man. Outstanding. So, uh, so now that you've made this announcement, Coach, that this is it, this, uh, this coming season, how has life changed for you? How's your outlook changed? No, I'm really happy. I'm excited about the upcoming season. Uh, you know, I wanted to coach one more year, but I didn't want to recruit and tell a lie to recruits, you know, like that I'm going to be your coach and then come April say, you know, eh, I'm not going to be your coach. And uh, Duke was good enough to put together a succession plan, which I love the succession plan we have with John Shire taking over. He's been my associate head coach for three years. And I got all my former guys, Nolan Smith, Chris Carowell. We're going to add Emil Jefferson uh, to our staff as a director of player development. And, you know, we just want to continue to be one of the outstanding programs. And and then I'm going to stay on with the school as an ambassador to the university. I'm going to stay in my same office and try to help the university and our athletics program in whatever way I can. You know, coach, I personally... I love what you did because when I was trying to decide when I was going to retire, you, I think you have to make the decision beforehand instead of wait. Because every year I told myself, I know you suck as a basketball player, but try to have one more good year and then retire on your own terms. And then I went like three years where I said, I'm not going to get better. So going into this, that summer, I said, hey, guys, this is going to be my last year, regardless of how good or bad I play. And I thought it took a lot of stress off me right. because you had to be in your mind somewhere, not just now making this decision. It's something you had to be thinking about really for the last three or four years. Yeah, it has been. And I'm not leaving because of health. You know, I'm 74. Uh, I'm in great health. I'm excited about coaching. Uh, it wasn't because of COVID. You know, a lot of people say, well, it was a horrible year. And they're right. But it, that's not the reason. And also the state of college basketball, which is an absolute turmoil right now. But uh, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm going to be 75. I got 10 grandkids. My wife and I uh, want to do other things. But I'm going to enjoy this year. What's the biggest source of that turmoil you talk about in college basketball? Well, I don't think the NCAA has ever... Uh, adapted incrementally to the the changes in the game, the changes in culture, society. You know, they've been rigid in their bureaucracy and uh, making sure that's very socialistic and how they handle everything. So these are things we've seen happening over the last 25 years. I can remember in the 90s where uh, we talked about starting a players union and things like that. And it it always swept away because it would ruin the organizational chart. You know, in bureaucracies, you like that organizational chart, you know, those boxes and all that. And our game is not a game like that. You know, it's an entrepreneurial uh, type of thing. It's uh, a billion dollar business. And it needs to be run like a business where you can have pinpoint responsibility and be able to develop relationships with the MBA, with uh, high school federations, whatever. You don't develop relationships with committees. You develop relationships with people. Basketball has been run by a committee, so it's all caught up to them. And the NCAA is in a lot of trouble, really, in trying to figure this thing out right now. You know, I'm really concerned about you. You know, I... And I'm on the side, number one, I hate when we tell kids getting a free education is nothing, that, especially right. black kids. That really drives me crazy. I mean, clearly the model was broken, but I hate when people tell black kids, hey, man, they're not giving you anything. Well, free education is a really big deal. Yes. But secondly, I'm concerned that all these people, I hear all these talking heads on television, which I'm one, I'm like, well, this is going to be great for college basketball, this name, image, and likeness thing. And I says, wait a minute, this notion that 
every player at all these schools is just going to start rolling in dough now. I think that's disingenuous and basically just total BS. What do you think? Well, no one has their arms around this right now, uh, Charles. I think this should have been done a long time ago where we would have had a way of making it more equitable for everyone in college basketball. The way it's going to come out now, certain schools are going to be doing things that other people can't do. And it, it's it's chaotic. It's it's really chaotic. And uh, it was the NCAA's responsibility to put guardrails on it, you know, to have some parameters here on what men and women would be able to do at their respective schools. No one knows exactly what's going to happen, but I'll tell you what, in a couple of days, there'll be schools that'll you know, announce some really amazing things. What we're trying to do is take an approach of let's wait and see a little bit and make sure that we don't do something now that would hurt, especially a key player's brand in the future. While everyone's trying to grab money, which I'm not against that. Some of these key players, they might be grabbing too little too early and put themselves in a position where they hurt their brand for future stuff. And I would recommend kids having agents, you know, people who can counsel them and their families on this, especially if they see themselves as NBA players, because this is the start of who they're going to be. You know, Mark Emmert and the NCAA, they're always reactive yes. to everything. And then it's too late. Right. But they've never, I've never seen what Mark Emmert has come out and said, and I, and I like Mark the few times I met him, but I always get mad when they always wait till they get punched in the face and say, let's see how we're going to react. But why does he's never got guys like yourself, Beheim, Roy, and some players also need to be in the room and say, let's see how we can work this thing and make it better. The words you use to being in the room is something that I've said for almost 30 years. The decisions that are made for men's college basketball never has had in the room of decision-making. And the decision-making is made by the NCAA Council. And so it's like Hamilton. The, the musical. You want to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. Where it happens. <laughs> and so if something is happening in men's college basketball or, or is going to happen, you should have representation in that room while people are making decisions about it. it it's never done. It has never, ever been done. Craig Robinson, I'm sure you know Craig. Yes. Craig is now the executive director of the NABC. I mean, he's been there a year now. What we've been trying to do is create a process where when they're discussing men's college basketball, he would be there. He doesn't have to be a voting member. I've even recommended, look, this thing called Zoom. <laughs> Can you not Zoom somebody in? I'm getting out. I'm frustrated about it. I, every Thursday, I'm on an ad hoc committee for the last eight months with Jim Beheim, Mark Few, Calipari, Izzo, a bunch of the top coaches, along with Gavitt from uh, the NCAA, Craig Robinson, a lot of times a lawyer from the NCAA, and we try to talk about these things. This is an amazing thing. We spent two months talking about, right now, all my players are here. In the summer, you can work with them eight hours a week for eight weeks, okay? Four of them in weight training and four on the basketball court. We asked to increase that by four hours if the individual requested, a lot of guys haven't even met their team because of COVID. Four hours a week. All the players in our conference wanted it. It doesn't cost any money. It wasn't passed. Mm. How the hell? No, really. It's crazy. So if we can't pass that, how can we do NIL? You know, I mean, I, I, that's a layup, right? If I could dunk, it would be a slam dunk. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, um, you know, I talked about earlier, all these black kids, I'm not worried about their playing time. I'm worried about no. them getting their education more than anything in the world. But between the transportation portal, this name, image and likeness, this thing that just came down from the Supreme Court, I think we get ready for Armageddon because I have no idea what's going to happen in the next few years of college sports. How many programs are going to be disbanded? How many sports are going to be canceled? Because it's clearly going to become an arms race. Because if I'm a kid and I got to decide where to go to college, I said, football is a little bit different, but you're going to say to yourself, well, what can I sell the most jerseys? Where can I get a car deal? 
what I'm, I'm going to a big school. I'm really concerned where college uh, athletics are going in the next five years. I'm really concerned about that. You guys have a right to be concerned. And I think universities will start making decisions as to just what they want to do with their intercollegiate sports programs. You know, do they want to go that route? You know, do the alumni, do the faculty? Look, we're part of the university. We're not the university. You know, the athletics department. And uh, that'll be interesting, too. Is it more of an Ivy League or Patriot League approach? And who knows? Maybe they change, too. Harvard's got a lot of big alumni, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hey, hey, Chuckster, let's switch gears a little bit. When was the first time you met Coach K? It was in a weight room. I was really nervous. I had seen him from a distance. And we were asked, I think we were like well, the only a, two people. Give me a year here. Oh, on the dream team. Dream team. Okay. Yeah. So I was just, I was wondering if you'd been met before that. Okay. But here we go. Well, what's really interesting about your question, Ernie, Coach, what year did you go to Duke? Yeah. No, we played you. Hey. <laughs> this was his first year at Duke. Cause like I can say, cause I said, I remember saying myself 30 years later, what, uh, about 30 years, somewhere 15, 20 years. I said, how long have you been at Duke? Since 80. I says, we played them in college. Yeah. Um, and Arnie, let me tell you something. You're not going to get any calls there. Uh, you're not going to get any calls there, Duke. Uh, <laughs> but Ernie, in fairness, I, I did not remember him on the sideline because it was at the beginning of his career. And then he'd had a bunch of success, obviously. And he was in the weight room and I was in the weight room. And I said, man, uh, I should, I, I, I want to say hello, but I don't want to bother. Because some people don't want to be bothered when they're in the gym. And we started talking, and it was awesome uh, from that point forward. Yeah. Coach, uh, I got to tell this story. <laughs> I love it when you preface a story that way, Chuckster. I can't wait for this. Hey, Ernie, Ernie, yeah. the third towel's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ernie, Ernie, yes, Chuck. I've never been this scared in my life. So we're playing on the dream team, and one of Coach's daughter asked me, Charles, can I go get a couple beers out of your minute bar? Scotty, Michael, me and Magic played cards every single night. So his daughter says, Charles, can I go get a couple beers out your minute bar? I said, of course. I give her my key. When I get back to the room about five hours later, she comes back, she brings me the key. I go to the room about five hours later. My minute bar is empty, Ernie. I said, oh, shit. I said, all my miniatures are gone. The couple of beers. I thought that she was going to get a couple of beers for her and her little girlfriends. I get back, Ernie. My minute bar is completely empty. And I said, oh, shit. I get to practice the next day. Coach K is on one end. I'm on the other end. Coach K comes to the other end. I'm circling Ben and getting to the other end. I don't want to get close to this man. It's true. This is a true story. This is a true story, Ernie. It is. I, I'm, listen, I'm terrified. And Coach, after practice, Coach says, can I talk to you? I said, yes, sir. Coach, I'm so sorry. I, she said she was only going to get a couple beers, blah, blah, blah. And he said, it's all right. It wasn't your fault. It was her fault. Oh, my God. Ernie, I was so scared. I'm not going to lie. Give us your side of that story, Coach. No, it's uh, – she – actually drank some of those things. And uh, so uh, I think she sold the rest on the rhombus uh, where Charles walked from midnight to six in the morning every, uh, every night after he played cards. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I brought all three, all three of my daughters and my wife, and you guys were amazing. You know, what Ernie, what they did, you know, that's the explosion that for our sport globally was not just that team, but how they were. They were the guys who built the NBA, obviously Bill Russell's and Coot and all them. But in the eighties, it was a different game and they USA had no culture. And what these guys brought was an amazing culture of togetherness and pride. And then USA basketball lost it for a while after that. But it was a dream experience. Everybody on that team became friends. Yeah. They were friends uh, for life. I mean, and like Charles and I have been friends since then, and but all the other guys too. Yeah, Chuck always tells these stories about these all-night card games and stuff. So they did. They did. While these guys are doing this, what did Chuck Daly have you doing? Well, Chuck was a master. You know, he was the guy. He was the perfect choice to coach that team. First of all, that was during the bad boys. 
Detroit, Michael. So he, he played golf with Michael. Michael never slept. Ever. He <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever slept. And what Chuck did was develop this amazing friendship with Michael. You know, that's like two global powers that are competing, coming together <laughs> for world peace. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is an interesting, this is a great story by Chuck about Chuck. So it's Lenny Wilkins, PJ Carlesimo, and I are on the staff. And we go in, and PJ and our college coaches were taking notes and whatever. Lenny's just being Lenny, who the great guy is. And uh, Chuck sees us taking notes. He says, yo, wait, 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 quit taking notes. I, he says, I have one bit of advice for you guys. Just And so PJ and I are leaning on our seats. What is, he said, you guys have to learn to ignore. Learn to ignore. You're going to see things that a college coach has never seen. <laughs> I don't want you coming in here and getting upset about it. And so that was a good lesson because part of that, you have to always learn to ignore. But in other words, we were in a different stratosphere. So watching you guys play cards all the time. Watching Michael not sleep. Literally. Hey, Ernie, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Like he would play like 36 holes a day yeah. after practice and do the same thing every day. It was, he, I've never seen a guy who never sleeps yeah. and play and play with that level. I tell the story. Uh, we're in the Tournament of Americas. Yeah. So we get up one morning. We got a game. I think the game's like at 6 o'clock. I think we're playing Puerto Rico. Yeah, in Portland. Yeah, in Portland. So me, David Robinson, Chuck Daly, and Michael go and play uh, 18 holes of golf. And then Chuck said, by this time, it's around noon. He said, hey, well, let's go back and get some rest. Michael's like, well, I'm going to play 18 more. <laughs> and we're going to like, Michael, we got a game tonight. He's like, I'm going to play 18 more. And, you know, when Michael says it, Michael's going to play 18 more. <laughs> so we get to the game. Everybody's talking. Chuck says, hey, Charles, you got this guy. Patrick, you got this guy. Scotty, you got this guy. He's Michael, you got – he says, oh, no, no, I got the point guard. And Chuck says, no, he's the, he's the point guard, Michael. And Michael looks up at him, Ernie, and says, he says some about me in the newspaper. I got him. Mm-hmm. And Michael guarded this dude like it was game seven of the finals, Ernie. Right. Like after he played 18, 36 holes of golf. And we're sitting there, that's some, it's something wrong with that dude. <laughs> he had read in the newspaper that this guy said that Michael Jordan was overrated and he could score on him. And I'm not even lying, Ernie. He guarded this guy like it was game seven of the finals. That's how crazy he's talking about. This dude never needed sleep. Hey, Coach K, how about the day they beat, how about the day the college kids beat the dream team? Chuck orchestrated that. <laughs> I had three guys on the college team, Hurley, uh, Grant, and uh, Leitner. And I tell those guys, I said, so you still believe in, you know, the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus? <laughs> you actually think you actually won. And uh, so they had these, this scrimmage. It was like a 20-minute scrimmage. But the college kids got off to a good start. And then Chuck kept some of the guys. He never put Michael back in. or He wanted those guys to lose a scrimmage just so he wanted that. He didn't tell the staff that he wanted it. And so boom, 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 they win that, that thing. The next day in the first 12 minutes of the next 20 minutes, they didn't score. (laughs) And so I pulled my three guys over. Yo, wake up from your little dream here. (laughs) (laughs) This is the way it is. It's like sometimes that, you know, kids play against pros in the summer. And say, man, I look good against them. Yeah, the guy's playing at 40%. You know, come to training camp, my friend. <laughs> Coach, Coach, I got two personal questions for you. As long as I'm Wait known- a minute, do I have to put out the fourth towel now? It, no, it, no, it, no. It, it's advisable. All right. I, every time I've seen you anywhere, you're with your amazing wife. Yeah. Tell, I want you to give her some shine right now. Tell us about your wife. Well, uh, Mickey and I got married. On, I graduated from West Point as a second lieutenant and we got married on graduation day. Wow. So, uh, she was a flight attendant for United airlines and smart and beautiful. And she's still smart and beautiful. And, and we've been married 52 years. Wow. And, uh, I tell my guys who are on my staff, my assistants understand that when you become a head coach, you have a partnership there. It's you and your wife. And, uh, 
really the wisdom, the woman's wisdom, along with my three daughters that they've given me has helped me immensely. Yeah, it's made me a, a lot smarter. But yeah, you know, she she understands the game. You know what? She understands people. And sometimes she sees things that I, I don't see. And uh quick story, we won the national championship in 2015. And Grayson Allen is a freshman. He's the eighth man on the team. And he makes this steal in the second half against Wisconsin and scores some points. But when he made the steal and was fouled, he yells out, you know, let's go. Let's go. And it sent a, a, a shockwave through the rest of the team. We were down. And then he said it again. And then we won the game. After the game, I told my wife, I said, isn't it amazing? You know, it's amazing that a kid could do that. You know, that he had the courage to do that. And uh, as the eighth man on the team to, to raise his voice. And my wife says, well, that's not the most amazing thing. So, you know, you shrug like as a guy, like <laughs> I had this big bubble and now she's going to burst it, right? She's going to put a damn, not a pin, but a damn knife right through my bubble. And I said, okay, what was that? She said, the main thing was that in your culture, everybody listened to the eighth man on the team. Wow. She was right. She was right. And it's true. It's true. So uh, I've been very lucky and, but thank you for for bringing her up. Yeah, she, she's awesome. So the second part of my question, I have this perception. When you're a coach, you, you've got blinders on. Right. So because it's about W's and L's. And, but I got this perception that on the weekend, you're the master griller. No, no. <laughs> no. I'm, yeah, I'm a good Polish guy. I eat. I, I eat. And I allow others who love to cook and barbecue cook for me <laughs> who was the master griller at the successful house on a weekend when everybody's over uh somebody we hire <laughs> who, or an assistant coach you know, who we don't hire although i love the grill i'm more a, a gardener and you know i like we have 14 acres of land so i like yeah, I, I, I'm more into that. Than so you're telling me if we drive by the Chichester house, we can see you out there cutting grass? No, you won't get in. There's a gate, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give Ernie my passcode, but... I've already got it. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey I, got, I got one for you. So when was the first time? I know you played for him, and then you were an assistant coach under him. When's the first time you met Bob Knight? Yeah, when I he recruited me. So he came to your house? Yes. Well, he came to my high school first, and then he came to my house. And uh, my mom and dad were, their parents were from Krakow, their first generation. And my mom only went to eighth grade, and my dad, uh, two years of high school. My mom was a cleaning lady and uh, the best person in my life. And when Coach Knight came in, we grew up, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. He came in and I was a good player. I was an all-state player. And uh, I was either going to go to Creighton or Wisconsin. And when he came in, my parents said, you're going to West Point. Mm. They said, that's where presidents go. Wow. And I was a smart-ass kid. And uh, I said, there's no way I'm going. And I told Coach Knight eventually no. And for two weeks, we lived in a flat. It's like two two-story building. We lived on one floor and our relatives lived on another. And in the kitchen is where people talked. My parents spoke Polish and my brother and I, they didn't have us learn Polish because they didn't want us to have the dialect. There was a lot of ethnic discrimination when they were growing up. And, uh, but they would talk every night in Polish. So pretend this is Polish. Da -da 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 -da. And then they would say, stupid. And da -da 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 Mike. And so they were verbally abusing me every day in the kitchen to finally I came out and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll go. And I call it the best decision I never made. <laughs> I made it because I trusted my parents. Wow. And, and that is not alive and well right now where kids ask the advice of, or parents have the courage to give the advice that kids need. If, if my parents didn't step up, 
and do that. Not, not, I think I would have been good. I would have been all right. There's no way I would be where I'm at today without West Point. No way. There's absolutely no way. And I tell my guys all the time, love your parents, love the people, keep people around you that aren't sucking off of you. They're giving you stuff. And there are a lot of people who want to suck off you. you know? But my parents, they, they didn't want that. They just wanted me to be good. And they figured, look, if he goes there, whoever he's going to be, he's going to be really good. They were right. And I try to run my program that way with my guys. And that, that's why I like having guys for longer than one year, although I adapted to that and I still have a relationship with those guys who have been here for just one year. But uh, I've loved college coaching because you change limits of a young man on and off the court. And I call it crossing bridges. When I coached the U.S. team for 11 years, it was unbelievable. And I learned a lot. But those guys have already crossed a lot of bridges. We crossed some together in developing that culture. With a kid, a young man, by crossing a bridge, changing a limit, you develop a relationship for the rest of your life. That's what I've loved about college coaching is having that level of a relationship. I, I talk about three coaches when I talk to kids. I said, no, excuse me, four. John Chaney, John Thompson, Dean Smith, and Mike Krzyzewski. I always say, I says, they want to create good men. Right. I said, they, they, they want you to be great at basketball. But I says, when I was in Philly, I spent a lot of time around John Chaney. Obviously, I know the guys in the NBA from John Thompson, uh, Michael and Kenny and those guys. Tell them about Dean Smith, Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, guys I know really, really well talk about you. He said, no, he wants us to be good men. So I just want to say, man, thank you. Because I, I tell you, that's, that's really what a coach is supposed to do. I know your job is to win games, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, I, w- I wish you nothing but the best. I want to thank you for being a friend for all these years. Thank you. Uh, hey, and enjoy, re- uh, enjoy the rest of your life. I'm not going to say retirement because I know you're going to be doing something. Enjoy the rest of your life. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I miss both Johns. They were great friends. And college basketball, if they had listened more to John Thompson and John Cheney in the early, late 80s and early 90s, we wouldn't be in the position we were in. I was in many, many meetings and phone calls late at night with, with those guys. And they were brilliant, and they always were interested in their players and the game. And uh, obviously they could win and they wanted a, you know, an extremely high level, but they, they were really brilliant guys and uh, had their finger on the pulse all the time. Hey, Coach, you've been uh, really generous with your time and we appreciate that. Um, we could go on for hours and hours. Your stories are awesome. I mean, your resume and just demands that you kind of take at least three hours of conversation like this, but we're not going to do that to you. But, uh, but thank you so much. You've done it for such a long time in such a, in such a good way. And it's an honor for us to have you on. Well, it's a lot of fun and I respect the heck out of you guys and appreciate you coming on my show too. Oh yeah. That's always a, that's a thrill too. That's uh, when, when you call and ask, there's only one answer. Uh, automatically, automatic. Yeah. But thank you. I, 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 I hope you can sense that I really enjoyed uh, being with you guys. <laughs> we 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 get that uh, we get that feeling, and and again, thanks for uh, thanks for keeping the towels handy, man. We appreciate you. <laughs> I'm gonna go wash it. I gotta go wash these towels. Now. <laughs> thanks, coach. Thanks, you guys. Hey, Chuck. This is Kelsey. Hey, Chuck. Hey, uh, Ernie. A uh, big fan of the show. Uh, my name's Elijah Winfrey. What's up, gents? This is James from Virginia. When can we expect the 2020 Black Masters? I would love to play in the Black Masters. Hey, Chuck, just saw you uh, play at the match. Saw your swing was looking good. And I hope after this quarantine, you might be the next Black Masters champion. Hey, Chuck. This is a longtime steamer here from New York City. Would you be interested, along with Ernie, to have an 18-hole broadcast of the Black Masters this year? Thanks, fellas. I'm still waiting on that Black Masters invite. Welcome back to the Steam Room. It's presented by Tissot. 
Uh, that's the official watch of the NBA. So, Chuckster, um, because we've had so many folks calling about the Black Masters, we thought it would be a good idea for Abby Stoles, one of our producers, uh, to put together an audio recap of the day because there were cameras out there in our faces all day long recording the uh, the sights and sounds of the Black Masters. So this is the sounds you're about to hear. Spin it. Welcome to the Black Masters the third sort of annual. It's a different kind of a vibe to the Black Masters this year. We've had some guys dropping out for various reasons. Chuck is the major figure here. We don't have any Grant Hill this year. We don't have, you know, some of the guys that we had before. What's cool is that we have members of the production team, all part of that inside story. So it's great to have them here. So it's a field of six, and I honestly, Chuck may be the favorite. Although my son Eric can also can also play pretty well. See, I can't beat Eric, so I'm not going to win this thing. But Eric might be able to beat Chuck. I've got a Black Masters jacket. He doesn't. And I think that may weigh on him as the day goes on. Well, I will guarantee that I'm going to play good today. I'm really looking forward to it. This is one of my most fun events of the year. Listen, Cap, I'm going to play well. Uh, don't you worry about me, OK? Don't you worry about me. You just take care of my Auburn girl, all right? I'm gonna play well. That's not gonna be any fours out here, brother. Relax. I think I'll find that one if I drive straight. Look at that three for the Chuckster. Let's circle that one. First birdie of the day for anybody. Chuck is winning. This is not a surprise. The man has turned around his game. Well, I don't think I'm gonna win the Black Masters. Go in the hole. Great shot. I don't know who you are, but what did you do with Chuck? <laughs> I told y'all. We're not worthy, Chuck. <laughs> What's the record for birdies in the Black Masters? <laughs> you may have already gotten it. Damn it, Charles Wade. Hey, that was a hard shot. I know. Down slope in a bunker, fairway bunker. Well, it's a two-dog race right now, I think, right now between me and uh, EJ Jr. Great ball, E. Great ball, man. Damn, that's your best one today. Eric, living clean. You're getting loose, man. Hi, right, Chuck. Be good. Just finish strong. It's come down to the last five holes with uh, Charles holding a one-stroke lead over my son, Eric. I don't know how anybody is not on the edge of their seats. That was icy. Finally made a putt. The lead remains two with two to play. Damn. I gotta beat the whole Johnson family. Way to go, Eric, you're the best. Unbelievable. Chuckster, you see that shot my son just hit? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Took a ringer to beat me, though. I fell apart on the back. Gotta work harder, Chuck. Yes, you do. Boy, that is roasted like Kenny Rogers' chicken. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your champion. Congratulations, I'm not gonna be a sore loser. You know, I played really well today. I got no complaints. I had to lead going into 12 or 13, and the young gun walked me down. But you know what? He played great. He deserved a win, and I got to congratulate him. As long as I beat his dad, I feel good about that. Well, listen, trust me, I, you got to be a, a great loser, a gracious loser. <laughs> I mean, like, these other losers, I beat them. You're the best loser of all the losers out here. You are the best. I'm the best loser out of all the losers, but this is the champ, and he deserves it. But here's, here's the deal. It's like, uh, here, it's Father's Day weekend. How, how much more special can it be? I don't want to get emotional. Yeah. Um, so, but to win the tournament that my dad won <laughs> on a Father's Day weekend, mm. it's... It's just too much. It's not too a, much. Not a dry eye in Brazelton right now, folks. <laughs> <sighs> there he is, the Black Masters oh, champion Lord. for 2021. My son, Eric Johnson. Boy, it's good to be in the steam room. How you doing, Chuck? I was in such a good mood today. <laughs> yeah. Keep your towel on. Where's my jacket at, dude? <laughs> I've been sleeping in it. I don't know where it went, though. <laughs> How has this changed your life, Eric? Well, I'm on the Steam Room podcast now. Oh, uh, yeah. That's big. Um, I've been celebrating. I'm actually uh, a little distracted because the kids 
are trying to get in the pool right outside of where I am uh, without supervision. But but it's a steam room. It's a steam room. (laughs) Drop everything. Those kids, by the way, are are my grandchildren. So keep an eye on them. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Eric, I'm I'm being serious here for a second. You got a really nice swing. You probably don't get to play that much, correct? No, I think I, I played a handful of times this year, maybe five or six. Um, but that's not a lot. No, I played five times this week. <laughs> well, brag a little. Uh, I, uh, right, I work with your dad at night. We, we can play all day. Yeah. If I, if I could make some putts, I could put up some decent numbers. I think, I think I had six, three putts at the black masters and that's, uh, only got to cut it against some weak competition. Wait, so. what, wait, what does that mean? What, what? Like me. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's don't talk about the other players. Let's talk and brag about me right now. No, Chuck, you played great, man. Didn't it? Didn't he? Chuck played great. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, when when I was on the range watching you hit balls, I uh, I got a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Swing was good, and you were crushing. Well, I can't wait to see you next year, buddy. Oh, boy, I can't wait either. Don't be eating my jacket, getting stains all over it. Just keep oh. it in the closet like they do at the real masters. Yeah, no chance. It's going to be mustard on it. <laughs> Chuckster, you're going to need your own. I mean, the, the size of the black jacket for, for you, it, it could be a tablecloth. So yeah. uh, we're going to have to find one. Hey, listen, the good thing about the black masters next year, Grant will be back. Yeah. Uh, Vince Carter, Chico. All of a sudden, all these guys wanted to go to Atlanta Hawks game like they Atlanta Hawks fans. Well, Grant needed to be They're there. They're coming out to Woodward. Grant is part of the franchise, so he had to be there. Yeah, but them other losers, they could have came out. We should point out also, Chuckster, uh, Kelsey Hawkins, part of the field in the Black Masters, Alex Hooverus, Tony Tam. Yes. Uh, it was great to have all of them there. Great to hang out. And uh, the best part of the day is the 19th hole. Oh, yeah. You know, when we're having barbecue and hanging out. Shout out to your lovely wife, Sherlyn. She have all those foods over to the house. Get to see Michael and, and Carmen hanging out with the grandkids and the barbecue and the great alcohol. The beverages are fantastic. <laughs> but hanging out with your grandkids. Hey, hey, hanging out with your grandkids, man. That is so much fun. They are adorable. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Everett and Bennett and uh, our Eric's and Katie and Amy are Maggie's. And uh, no, there's not a. There's never a bad day when the grandkids are around. That's for sure. And I always want to, I want to always shout out Maggie, man, because I just admire her being a teacher for special ed. I mean, that's just an amazing, amazing thing. Man. Yeah. Because, man, you, you know my affinity for teachers. We had my man from New York who was awesome uh, a couple podcasts ago who incorporated us into his teachings. Uh, so anytime we get to shout out teachers, man, just thank you very much for, for all y'all do. Yeah, I mean, look at my life here. Chuckster. I've got a finalist for teacher of the year in the state of Georgia and a black masters champion. I mean, Eric, thank you, man. This is such a, I mean, such a feather in my parenting cap. It's only downhill from here. Yeah, you're right. Cause next year I'm coming for you. It is all downhill from here. You're exactly right, Eric. You're exactly right. Can I, can I share a steam room story I have about you, Chuck? Sure. But I don't even think I've told my dad before. Oh, I might want to check out. Okay, go ahead. We were in Hawaii for the Grand Slam of golf. You, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Early 2000s? I, yeah, go ahead. And, and you guys were on air like at 7 o'clock or something like that. But you had been having a few uh, Coors Lights that day from the hotel. And so I was going to the gym so I could go out and watch your show live. And I went through the locker room where you had just left the steam room. And I ran into you wearing nothing but Nikes. <laughs> and it it uh, it shocked my 17-year-old self. Hey, I was so. comfortable. It's the steam room, brother. I'm told to be comfortable in the steam room. No, the locker room outside the steam room. Uh, you're right. I hadn't heard that story. Oh. Yeah. So saving that for the season finale i appreciate you doing that thanks for scarring my son (laughs) oh man eric thanks kid it's great to see you Uh, as always have fun down there make sure you teed up at some point gonna try to thanks chuck love you dad love you too kid see ya bye how about that? Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, that is. Awesome. It, it, you know, just hanging out with your grandkids. I got a great picture. They all sit on my lap. Yeah. Uh, which was adorable. But also, when they started bringing me every toy in the house, that was even. 
crazier. I was like, <laughs> just oh. piling up dolls and cars <laughs> and stuff on your lap. Yeah, that's what you. That's what we get. Uh, hey, we're gonna take a, a short break here, uh, and then actually come back with the answering machine. Got some calls here on our season finale. Can't wait. All right, don't go anywhere, y'all. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Come and join us in steam room. Chuck and Ernie in steam room. Leave your towel on in steam room. All right, back here on the steam room. And now officially the final segment of the season finale as we visit uh, Chuck's answering machine. By the way, have I pointed out that the steam room is presented by TSO, the official watch of the NBA? And uh, we always wrap it up with the answering machine. Can't wait. Let's hear it. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hey there, Ernie and Charles. Steve Gleason here. Thanks for inviting me in the steam room. Ernie, I'm a big fan of yours, but I'd say I'm more of a sauna guy. I'll take a sauna over the steam room every time. I love you, Chuck, and you were the athlete who most inspired me in my athletic career. You didn't have the prototypical stature of an NBA all-star, and your attitude and approach were somewhat outside the box compared to the status quo. I used this type of approach in my NFL career, and I've certainly used this in the last decade in my ALS career. Charles, I know you are familiar with the challenges of ALS with your friend Gary Godfrey, but I'm not sure how familiar your audience is with ALS. One thing people can know about ALS is, beyond the devastation of not being able to move, or talk, or breathe, I know that, with the right support, and resources, and mindset, it's possible to live purposefully and productively with this disease. Our foundation, Team Gleason, is a global leader in providing those resources, the support, and mindset people and families who are working to live with ALS. For more information on how to get support from Team Gleason, or if you'd like to get involved, go to teamgleason.org. Thanks, Ernie and Charles. Love you, boys. Wow. Uh, man, that is... Uh... You know, I know everything about that dude. Um, I followed his story. Yeah, and for those who may not have followed the NFL, um, may not immediately recognize the name of Steve Gleason. He was a former NFL player, and there was a highlight reel play in the aftermath of Katrina when football returned to New Orleans, and he blocked the punt for a touchdown against the Atlanta Falcons, and then. It was a few years later when he was diagnosed with ALS. And so it's remarkable also with the technology for him to be able to communicate the way he did with us. And there is, it is just such a snapshot of a man who has taken this unspeakable situation and has dedicated his life to trying to help the next person through it. Man, he just inspired me just then. I'm, I need to probably get involved with ALS because my friend who I played with, Gary Godfrey, has been amazing, man. I sent Gary to the Hawks game the other night. I got him a suite down there. And his wife, Carol, has just been a great inspiration to me because I don't know how I would handle that situation. But, man, Gary is like a brother to me. And like I say, we've been together since I was in college. Gary used to beat the hell out of me every single day. You know, uh, I used to tell people, one of the reasons Gary's important to me is because Gary's a big old dude, and he's one of those guys who give maximum effort all the time. And he just beat me to death every day for three years. So I tell people, when I got to the NBA, the physical contact wasn't a shock to my system because this dude, I said, you know, you only get five fouls, right? And I said, you've got it in the first five minutes, but it really made me a better player. So uh, I got to figure out with Mr. Gleason and Gary a way to get involved with ALS because I think, man, it's a tough disease. It's an awful disease, but I want to 
thank him for reaching out to the steam room. Steve Gleason, you're an amazing man. And, and yeah, man, thank you for taking the time, man. I don't know how we get to the next call, but we're going to try go. Hey, Chuck. My name is Jasmine. I'm a former Division One collegiate athlete at FanU, HPC Pride. And I have a question for you. What is the most spontaneous thing you have done in your life? Well, I can't wait to hear this one. Wow. First of all, uh, Jazz Jasmine from FAMU. Shout out to uh, Bruce Daniels, one of my college teammates' brother who went to FAMU. <laughs> first of all, I can't say half the stuff I've done spontaneous. No question. Don't <laughs> So just scratch those off the list and go somewhere else. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I went to Puerto Rico and had a blast. <laughs> you know, so this is what happened. We had lost a game when I was playing for the six, and I was distressed about it. And I knew I couldn't hang around Philly because I knew they were going to be burying me on radio and TV for the next few days. So I got a cab. I went to the airport. I said, the first foreign country or something like that that I see, I'm doing there. I'll find some stuff. I packed up a bag. I drove to the airport. I said, uh, this is before they had all these regulations. I just go there and I started looking at the board. And I said, uh, Germany, not sure. England, not sure. San Juan. Is that Puerto Rico? Bingo. That's it. I jumped on a plane and went to Puerto Rico. I think it was like my second or third year in the league. It was like 86, 87, somewhere in there. So that's probably the most spontaneous thing I've done that I can ask. How long talk. did you stay down there? I ended up staying like uh, five days. But we lost it in the middle of the week, and I stayed early in the week, and I just stayed there until the beginning of the next week. And uh, I had a great time. And actually ended up meeting a couple guys I knew down there, Jerome Mincy, who played at UAB in Birmingham, and I think Jose Ortiz was down there. but. I ended up going to San Juan like the, the next five or seven years. I really enjoyed it down there. One, two, three, San Juan. One, two, three. That's it. One, two, three, San Juan. <laughs> Let's go to our third call. Hey, guys. Jack Morgan, man. I love your guys' podcast. Went back and have listened to every single one of them since the beginning. Just wanted to call and say thanks. I'm a coach. I was a player. I absolutely love the NBA on TNT with all you guys sitting up there cracking on each other and still loving each other. Well, I really wanted to call you and say thank you for us for your podcast. So my uh, pops had a stroke on May the 3rd. He was a teacher and a coach and a principal. Uh, he passed uh, last Thursday, and uh, I was in the hospital and hospice and a lot of places with him, spent a lot of hours away from my daughters and my wife and my school and my players, and just a lot of time on my own with him sleeping and going through the, what he went through with the illness and, and trying to recover and then not recovering. Uh, you guys, the energy you got, the positives you, you bring to what you do on the steam room, the guests, the fact you keep it real. You know, I love Chuck's idea of the grown-ass human, uh, you know, because we, we need a lot more of those. You guys got me through. That's all I got to say. I mean, some dark, dark nights and some dark times and some tough conversations. The humor, the humanity, and everything, just can't tell you that enough. Chuck, you got a fan for life in me and Ernie. I don't know that there's a better person for me to point my all my young sports journalists to than, than you for them to figure out how to do the job and do it right. Again, thanks for the steam room. Thanks for all you bring, and, and thanks for helping me get through a really rough time. Wow. You know, uh, number one, uh, sorry about your loss. Sound like your dad was your hero because you went into basically the same profession he did, kind of like Ernie did. We know Ernie's with dad was his hero. So, listen, when we started this podcast, we wanted to just have some fun. We've had some amazing guests, amazing guests. And obviously, today is just another perfect example. I have fun doing the podcast. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to, because I got to tell y'all some funny shit. I've actually never listened to a podcast ever, <laughs> ever in my life. But I love when people say they enjoy our podcast. I want to make them laugh. I want to make them think sometimes. But the main thing, I just want to make people laugh. And I just want to thank everybody for the support. 
man, what a way to go out with the Gleason thing. And my man, he said Mr. Morgan, correct? Jack Morgan, yeah. Jack Morgan. Uh, but the Gleason thing, man, was so profound. And for him saying that I inspired him being an undersized guy, that means a lot to me. Like I said, I got to find a way to get involved with this ALS thing from, for, for Steve and my boy Gary. But Mr. Morgan, man, I'm glad we're able to bring some joy to you. But thank you for the support. Yeah. And just to play off one thing that Jack had said, too, look, when, when I lost my dad like 10 years ago, you know, his last few days were spent in hospice. He talked about his dad being in hospice, too. Um, shout out to those folks who do that, because that is a uh, you got to be wired for a job like that when yeah. when every day you know what the possibility is that you're going to be encountering. So all those angels who uh, who have taken uh, that job of hospice on. Yeah. That is uh, that is special. I don't know what we do without you because that's um, yes, Chris. Uh, this is mm, crazy. Mm, 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 mm. I I just I've been through it twice myself with my mother and grandmother and yeah. uh, some other friends recently. And just shout out to anybody involved in hospice care because uh, man, that is you're a true soldier. No doubt, no doubt. That's about the end of it. I think. No, it's I, not. I think Cap. No, it's not. I know. It's not the end of it. I know. I got a box. I know. And I've got an envelope. You got an envelope. I've got an envelope. You've got a box. I got a box. Well, and it says, do not open until Until the the end end of of the the steam room. And it's signed Cap. From Cap. Michael Kaplan, our producer. Can we officially open it now? We can officially open it. I bet I get mine open before you do. I got my, my box cutter ready. Or, oh. You know, anytime I get the gift, anytime, <laughs> well, you're laughing about something. Oh, uh, no, this is just classic cap right here. Because <laughs> once upon a time, I told the story about how, how players can get to be your favorite player of all time just because they do something nice for you. So there's, a pic, there's an old Topps baseball card of... Phillies catcher Clay Dalrymple, well, who was the who was the guy who threw me a ball as I watched the end of batting practice one day from the stands at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and I said that is going to be my favorite player for life. Look at that! That's got to be it. That's a 1965 uh, Topps Clay Dalrymple card. Thank you, Cap. Wait, that's awesome. 65. I was two. I know, but that's a 65 card. It didn't okay. happen in 65. Okay. Uh, but it was right around that time. It was right around that time. Now, what do you got? Butterscotch crimpets. Woo! <laughs> butterscotch, my favorite. Oh, I love me some butterscotch. You know, you can only get these tasty cakes on the East Coast. These things are fabulous. Ugh. Weren't they a longtime sponsor of like Philadelphia Flyers hockey or something where they'd score a goal? Hey, there's a goal for a for a thing of tasty cakes. Oh, I don't know the answer to that question, but uh, well, listen, anytime we can incorporate tasty cake and crimpets into the show, we're good. Uh, what I'm talking about the Phillies, the Flyers, the 76ers. Uh-huh. This is awesome, Cap. Are you going to be bringing those by the studio tonight or are you going to devour each and every one? You know what? I'm going to bring some of them to the studio because I don't want to waste them. Right. I'm not going to be selfish. Man. Cap, after, after how many shows we've done? This is 55 of these things. 55 shows to come in handy. About time. Yeah. Thanks, Cap. You're the best. Thanks to Cap. Thanks to uh, Audrey, uh, Junior, as I call her, Matt Mansfield, uh, who makes sure that all this stuff sounds good and looks good and, and that uh, Charles has the mic plugged in the right way. Abby and Asia. I mean, thanks. I mean, this is tremendous. This is a a part of my week. I look forward to every week that we're that we're able to do this, and 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 now we're done for another season until next NBA season. And uh, well, I will say these probably were the best calls we've ever got today. I'm not gonna lie, and I'm not caught up in the moment. I think those calls we got today, uh, even Jasmine asked me about spontaneity. Uh, but for my man, Mr. Morgan and Steve Gleason, man, best best calls of the year. Yeah, and thanks to Coach K uh, yes. for taking a chunk out of his day to sit around and tell stories and some great perspective on college hoop, you know, and where it's headed and where it's been. And uh, yeah, NCAA, feel free to reach out to him. 
<laughs> you might be a voice you uh, you could probably learn something from. Yes. Enjoyed it, my brother. I have too. And you know what? I here's uh, here's what I can leave you with, Chuckster, because we will not be doing a podcast when it comes out. So if you're in the mood to go to the movies, and I know you like to, July 16th. Space Jam, The New Legacy. Space Jam, A New Legacy. Yeah. I need you to watch it. Tell me how I'm doing, man. If I had a dollar for every time you said Space Jam, New Legacy uh, on our last show, mm -hmm. I'd have more money than Shaq. It'd be a new legacy. Yeah, it really would be. <laughs> Love you, brother. Love you, brother. I'll see you tonight. All right, I got you. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, look forward to doing it again. We'll see you.